So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. And this data dump contained over 280,000 text messages, which were sent and received by one of Paul Manafort's daughters. So, hang on. One of his daughters sent and received 280... Thousand. Yes! She a bot. Smashing Security, Episode 95. British Airways Hack, Mac App Steel Browser History, and one person has 285,000 texts leaked. With Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 95. My name is Graham Cluley. I'm Carol Terrio. And we are joined this week... By well, he's he's sort of a new guest, and he's not a new guest because we tried to get him on a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Yes, and we had some sound issues, if I remember correctly. So, David M from the Global Research and Analysis Team at Kaspersky Lab, what on earth were you doing in that wind tunnel? Why couldn't we hear you properly? Well, you know the things I do for work. <laughs> no, it, we had a hardware problem, Graham, um, and problem with any of the microphones I tried. So hopefully, this is much clearer. Now, I want to ask about David's name. So. I've never heard the name M before. It's spelled E-M-M, right? Mm-hmm. It is. And is that is that well known? Is that something that you run across often? Or It's a pretty unusual name. I mean, there's a cluster of M's around the Salisbury region, which is where my dad <laughs> was from. I'm one or two dotted in other places of the country. But Were you guys hiding from the cops? You know, so I can just see the cops asking, what's your name, uh, David? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, not as far as I know. Ooh, we don't know of a checkered past. Not as far as I know. Well, I would imagine if M was going to hang out anywhere, it might be not that far away from Terry O. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Meta Compliance, the security e-learning experts, make learning best practice engaging and fun. Through stories, realistic scenarios, the Meta Compliance guys provide animated e-learning and even games like phishing drills to test your knowledge. Plus, these guys get passwords, they get GDPR, they get security, and they've won awards for security awareness. Smashing Security listeners, you guys can get 10% off by visiting smashingsecurity.com slash metacompliance and entering the code SMASHING. That's smashingsecurity.com slash metacompliance. 
Okay, well, there's been some bad news potentially for fans of the Mac App Store, the default place where Mac users tend to download their programs after they've been vetted by Apple. Uh, Are we talking about their problems? Well, there are problems, Crow, because lots of people imagine that apps which are downloaded from the Mac App Store are safe. Oh, because, because been you vetted. have told them that repeatedly well, no, over I, the years, well, saying no, well, to people, you should me. definitely go to the App Mac Store because things are vetted and it's more likely that they're well, safe. Well, uh, it's true that at least someone has looked at the programs, whereas if you get them from any Tom, Dick or Harry website, there's no guarantee that anybody's had a, a third party look at them. But it doesn't mean that the Mac App Store is entirely safe. And in the last week or so, there have been a number of apps which have been booted out from the Mac App Store after being found scooping up users' private data, such as their browsing history in the background. Naughty, naughty, naughty. You need to have a lot of access to do that. Well, you would think so, wouldn't you? And some of the Mac App Store's highest grossing paid utilities, ones top of the charts, are making some pretty grand promises. So these aren't obscure apps which are doing this. There are apps which say, oh, we'll keep your Mac safe. We'll get rid of annoying pop-up ads. We'll discover and remove threats on your Mac. They're pretending to be security firms or security apps that actually they're there (laughs) snarfling up. Well, just hold your horse. Oh, is this a popcorn moment? Because. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Okay, they're bragging about how great they are at keeping your Mac secure, but what they're less keen to brag about is the fact that they are also snaffling up this data, such as your browser history, and uploading it to their server. Now, a couple of researchers, a guy called Privacy First. Um, a guy about, called Privacy First? Yeah, I imagine Names it's, are getting wacky. It's, it's a bit like reality winner, isn't it, really? <laughs> it's, anyway, some guy who's calling himself Privacy First on social networks, he spotted the problem initially, but he found it hard to get Apple to take any action about these apps. Okay. He then worked with another Mac security researcher, someone who we've uh, spoken about before, I believe, Patrick Wardle. He and privacy <laughs> first how am i going to talk about him Mr. pf first? called PF. pf he and pf wrote up their findings mm-hmm. uh, whereupon others uncovered more data slurping mac apps and apple ended up booting out apps such as dr cleaner dr cleaner pro dr antivirus dr unarchiver dr battery and duplicate finder out of the app store how and, did they get there in the first place well they were put there by the developers of course but no, but how do they get through the uh, testing, the vetting? Well, somehow or another, the vetting wasn't sufficient. Whether it was the case that the apps actually knew that they were being vetted by Apple and didn't perform this browser snarfling functionality or not, I don't know. But what was most interesting to me is who was the developer? of these data grabbing yeah. mm. Do me, we know them? Mm, let me stroke my beard here, right? as if I could grow a beard. Let me stroke my... <laughs> I was just going to say. Stro- let me stroke That'll my... That'll take 10,000 years. David, have you ever had a beard or a moustache or anything like that, which you've twiddled? Ooh, ooh, a moustache a lot of years ago. Did you? Oh, <laughs> just you... very briefly. I bet you looked very handsome, David. <laughs> I got rid of it pretty quickly. Very sensible in my I experience. like a moustache. <laughs> I do. You've married a very hairy man, to be honest. He, yeah. he doesn't find it difficult. Well, Magnum to, uh... PI was unavailable. So, <laughs> so th- who was the developer? None other than security vendor. David's panicking a bit now that it might be Kaspersky. It's not Kaspersky. It's Trend Micro. Shut the front door. Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, so 
No, no. What? What? I don't believe it. It, it was. It was Trend Micro. Trend Micro, who, of course, write a number of security products, both for corporations and consumers. They put some They're code... a big anti-malware player, like oh, top yeah. five in the world. Oh, totally, totally, yeah. Trend Micro put some code into their consumer products, which they say was designed to help the software determine if users had recently encountered online threats. And yet that code was also incorporated into products which were not security related. Mm. Now, people didn't really like the idea that Trend Micro might be snaffling up people's browser history. Hmm, surprise in that. Trend Micro went into panic mode and issued a statement. They said, look, this was a one-time data collection done for security purposes to analyse the browser history, work out if someone had recently encountered adware or other threats, and thus to improve the product and service. So you could argue that, in short, what they were trying to do was they were improving their user security by compromising their security. Okay, did, I'm guessing, did their agreements say that they were doing this, their, like, terms and stuff? Well, this was the thing. They were at pains to point out that not only was the data collection occurring once per installation and wasn't actually including the full browser history, but also the users had agreed to this because they had approved the software license installation. And there, buried away in the small print, was this little bit which said, look, we're going to take some of your data to analyse this. Hmm. Which raises an interesting question, isn't it? Because it's often the spyware and the adware and nastiness like that which takes advantage of people not properly reading the EULA, right? I'm depressed well, people, now. People don't read EULAs, you mean? I know, it's a shock, isn't it, David? Yeah, apparently not. Are you in the habit of reading a EULA? Uh, yeah, yeah, generally, but there are exceptions, of course, because as all of us know, sometimes those things are not just half a page long. Sometimes they're just a bit longer. I, I heard, I read something online, therefore it must be true that the number of, if, if you were to read all the EULAs of the software you run during the course of a year, it would take around about 80 days to read all of them. Is that, <laughs> is that possible? That. I mean, it's a statistic from the internet, so I think it probably is believable. Well, I think it gets even worse because even in situations where this is down to a manageable size, and I'm thinking here about the permissions that mm. apps ask for, people don't even read those either. That's right. I mean, when you install, for instance, an app on your Android device, it will say, you know, are you happy with it accessing the microphone in your location, even though it's a, an app to produce a flashlight, for instance, and people just go, yeah, 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 just give yep. me the app, don't they? Exactly. Well, it's not like a lot of this stuff is done super clearly a lot of the time, right? No, but... I think there's a lot of trickery involved in trying to get as access to as much data as they can. This is not all companies, but a lot of, the, a lot of apps do that. Yeah, I mean, some apps will actually exploit vulnerabilities or weaknesses to walk past this permission screen. I know with a new version of Mac OS X, which is coming out soonish, they'll warn you more about what the actual apps are trying to do. But fundamentally, I think relying upon your users to read the license agreement, well, legally that might get you out of hot water because you have kind of told them, but in all honesty, you haven't really told them, have you? I think also it comes back to your earlier point about um, something in the official app store, that there's a sort of mm. inbuilt feeling because people like us tell them, look, stay on the beaten track. You're more likely to be safe if you download from uh, a reliable source like that. Uh, and that people lower their guard because of that. 
Um, and also, you know, we've got to face the fact that although we work in this industry and therefore we're attuned to this stuff, other people aren't. They're looking for this or that or the other functionality and they're not necessarily savvy about whether XYZ functionality is needed for what they're doing. Totally. And, you know, lots of people don't even know how to read the legal mumbo jumbo. And it's not always easy. You know, I often read that I have to read it out loud really slowly. And who's going to take the time to do that? And furthermore... We're talking about Macs here, right? And I think there's still this perception amongst many users that, that you've Macs... helped build. What? You, what? what? I've helped build what? You have often said, if you want better security, choose a Mac. No, I haven't. What I've said, no, that's completely inaccurate. I'm going to pick you up on that one. No, what I've said is if you want less attacks, less arrows being thrown at you, get a Mac, because there is much more well, malware. it's kind of the same thing. No, 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 it's not at all. There's much more malware and spyware for PC. So I do believe if you're running a, a PC, you're perhaps more likely to get infected by things and something nasty happened to you. But that doesn't mean that you can forego protection and sensible practices on your Mac as well. well I wasn't suggesting that. I just, uh, I, look, Apple has a reputation for being safer. Yes, because less arrows are thrown, but also because it has a vetted wall garden. That's true. This is a screw up. And I think the screw up actually is more than just having a bad app in the app store. It's that companies that we are supposed to trust and want to build a relationship with and use their services, you know, maybe they're giving themselves a bit too much license and a bit too much access to stuff. Well, and it does. It feels creepy. I said that last week, but it still feels creepy. It does. And I think it's not good for the security industry as a whole. Cybercrime is a bigger problem than ever before, but we don't need instants like this corroding users' trust in security firms, do we? No. We want people to, we want people to install security software. We want people to have a bit of frickin' honour. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing to be fair, that this is probably more to do with a dropped ball than it is with sort of malice aforethought. Hopefully that's the case. Yes, yeah, hopefully yes. that is the case. Um, so I'm guessing these are now kicked out of the App Store. Have, have Trend apologised? Mia culpit? Trend has issued an apology. We'll link Good. to it in the show notes. They've done a few other things as well. They've deleted the functionality from the apps. They've also deleted their logs of the data which they collected. Good. And... They've including they've also removed the feature from the non-security apps, which shouldn't have had that feature in it in the first place. And I think that's the other story here, which other software manufacturers can learn a lesson from. It's not only that you need to get positive, explicit consent from your users as to what you're going to do and what private data you might be extracting from them. So they actually consciously acknowledge that that's going to happen but you also shouldn't be fattening up your products with unnecessary code if you've got a shared code library which appears to be what was happening in this case if you're incorporated into programs which aren't planning or don't need that functionality rip that code out don't leave it there because it increases the threat surface mm -hmm. the chances of there being a bug or some unexpected functionality which was the case in for instance the unarchiver why would that need to check your browser you know history. what i don't it doesn't I, need to do it because why not right big data is big money and i agree with your point don't get me wrong i totally agree with your point but i think a lot of this stuff is being inflated because systems are faster they can handle bigger programs and they can just slap it in because why not because they can get more data well i, I certainly hope in this case that they were purely collecting the data for some sort of security reason i, I haven't seen anything to suggest they were they were using it to monetize it in some fashion or do advertising or sell it on to somebody so basically else. you're saying everybody screws up once in a while 
Everybody screws up once in a while, Carol. Okay. As I believe we all know. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember the last time I've screwed up. But. Well, you, you certainly remind me of the times when I <laughs> screw up quite often. David, do you ever make any screw-ups? Not. David, what's your story for us this week? Well, I, I've been kind of following this uh, story to do with the British Airways hack of data. Oh, yes. You know, 380,000 uh, people's data there, that's out there in play. The sophisticated hack. Well, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how sophisticated in the end, no doubt. What certainly seems to be the case at the moment anyway is that rather than somebody digging into BA's back-end systems and you know, hacking into that, they were actually collecting it in real time from the forms that were being filled in. So this was done, it seems anyway, through a script on the website. Right. And this was a web page where people were making the payments exactly. for their upcoming flights. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and and that's that seems to be the data that's gone. You know that's what BA is saying. It's credit card numbers, including you know the magic CVV number, the three numbers mm-hmm. on the back of the card, names, emails. I've read. Uh, no doubt we'll we'll get clarification on this at some point. But at any rate, this is not a case as we've seen in the past of of people hacking a back end system and guess what? You know people's usernames and passwords and so on are not being secured properly. This is a question of somebody doing it at the point at which it's being input. You know, not only when you carry out security audits have you got to look at the sort of traditional. Um, aspects of that, including web servers and and making sure you're up to date and your password policies are good and all of that. Mm. But also, you've got to make sure that any scripts that you've got running are also okay. And of course, it's often the case that companies are running third-party processes. A third-party process is being used to for payment or to deliver ads. Yes. And where it's a third-party script, then you've got another issue because it's it's not yours and therefore you know it becomes harder to um, verify the integrity. And so in that case you've got to make sure that you are limiting the scope of what it can do. And I remember this being a problem earlier this year. Do you remember tens of thousands of government websites and all sorts of things all got seemingly hacked simultaneously? And it's because they were all using this accessibility plugin designed for people who were, I think maybe were visually impaired or, or something like that. And that plugin got hacked. And suddenly all these websites which were pulling down the JavaScript from that site were themselves hacked en masse. So I guess one of the clues by which we know this is the way in which this occurred with the British Airways hack is they not only got the payment card regular details like your number and your expiry date, but they also got that magic three-digit CVV number on the back, which isn't normally stored by businesses, is it? Exactly. They, They don't store it, but... It is input on the web page. So if that web page has been compromised with a malicious script, there's the opportunity for the criminal to grab it. Yeah. So this is a pretty big hack. And one of the biggest uh, and most high-profile hacks which has occurred since GDPR mm. came into effect. Exactly. Exactly. It will be interesting to see you know, what the outcome of that is. And I know, certainly, Graeme, you talked about uh, one of the issues to do with legal challenges to this and <laughs> yes. legal firm trying to round people up about getting compensation now, clearly the the ico has something to say about this and you know they're, they're pointing the finger at ba and, and there's culpability there yeah That's even worse so there is a u.s law firm which has just set up a uk branch 
called SPG Law. They actually set up the day after the BA breach was announced, and they instantly released a press release saying that they were launching a £500 million (laughs) class action suit over the British Airways hack. What that actually means is that they are saying that they believe victims can claim up to £1,250 each. So multiply that by Mm. £380,000 and you get your £500 Now, I think they were being rather opportunistic. And obviously, they got their name in the press and all the rest of it. Because I'm not sure we necessarily want law firms instantly jumping into these things and offering to help people get compensation. I think that may not always work to the advantage, actually, of the consumer. Where there's a blame, there's a, where there's a claim, there's yeah, a... But, well, you know what I mean. Do you know what? I would be super, <laughs> super peed off if I were one of these. Like, as soon as I heard of this hack, I was like, oh, my God, did I book a flight? Did I book a flight? Because I use PA a lot. And I, yeah. you know, I, I yeah. was so yeah. relieved that I wasn't, in, you know... And although BA is saying that they won't see anybody out yep. of pocket with this, that's great, but actually... The thing is that how do you link the two together? So if in six months or a year's time somebody gets hit with some kind of fraudulent activity, how, as the victim of that, do you tie it back into this? Because at the end of the day, your details could have ended up in play from other kind of attacks other than the BA one. Yes. So the answer there is that you've got to change your details right now, really. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the banks actually have already cancelled people's cards if they believe they were compromised by this incident so they are reissuing cards and it's good to see the banks do that but i feel a bit sorry for the banks as well you know the (laughs) banks are taking this on the chin Uh, well no it's ba's incompetence why should the banks have to jeez yeah i was going to say i think also you know while all of us especially in in our industry you know put our, our hands to our face when this happens actually ba came out proactively chased this down said look this has happened he's who's affected yeah. contacting people how often have we seen the case where actually maybe months later or even years later we're hearing about a breach that happened way after anybody had any chance to do anything about well this it. is this is gdpr in action isn't it david they exactly. are they they've they've got a scare on yeah. they know they have to notify people quickly they know that potentially they could lose is it four percent of their gross yeah. worldwide yeah. turnover 4% or of the annual turnover or 20 million euros whichever is the higher yeah. right so it's um it's a it's a clouty fine isn't it yep. potentially well that's a lot less than the money they'll have to pay out if everyone demands compensation yeah yeah i think a lot of these class action suits never come to anything very much but uh we will have to see i suppose but BA, I suspect, are, are no longer everybody's favourite airline. As they, do you remember that? They used to say that in their ads. I do remember that. And also they said, we'll take more care of you. Fly the flag. We'll take more care of you. Fly the flag. Do you know what? I like BA. You like BA? Yeah, I may not use their website as easily anymore. <laughs> But I, li- I don't mind a BA flight. You just don't want them bumping the drinks trolley into you next time you're on the plane, do you? You'd- you're a bit worried now. Bumping the drinks trolley? I'm trying to... Does you know, that refer to something? Go, oh, everything's an innuendo, no. isn't it? <laughs> it's, David earlier was talking about intruding on people's back end. And now BA drinks trolleys. Crow, get your mind out of the gutter. Or out of the aisle. story all hinges around Paul Manafort and his family. Now, 
for those of you outside the U.S. political news orbit, tell me how you freaking do that. <laughs> okay, no, no. So Paul Manafort uh, was Trump's former campaign manager who was raided by the FBI, charged and found guilty of eight charges of fraud. And he's, I think he's sitting in jail waiting for his sentence. I think it's a maximum sentence of 80 years. Yeah, and he's got a second trial coming up as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, he is not living the American dream at the moment, <laughs> right? Nor, nor, nor his family, because this story is all about what's happened to his daughter. All right. I'm going to give you a bit of quick backstory, and then I want your help in figuring out whether the wrongs outweigh the rights or vice versa. So about a year and a half ago, this big data dump was flitting around on the dark web, and this data dump allegedly contained over 280,000 text messages, which were sent and received by one of Paul Manafort's daughters. So hang on, hang on. one of his daughters sent and received 280,000? 80, I know, I thousand. worked that out. <laughs> yes, that, I worked this out. Okay, so if this cash was about five years old, okay, this is like each person sending and getting 120 odd texts a day. She a bot. <laughs> it's just insane. I, I was shocked as well. But yeah, so so basically all of her, all of this daughter's uh, text messages and the ones that she's received and sent, right, right, were basically collated into this big dump and it was kind of going around the dock web, right? And rumor had it that the, the reason this had happened was a daughter's phone was hacked. Right. So at the time, some news agencies kind of tweezered out a few politically Manafort or Paul Manafort related messages from this big glut. These are messages that seem to have some context around his, you know, the political arena and some of his shady dealings with Russian-friendly forces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was argued that, you know, this was newsworthy and therefore warranted public attention. Of course, also some, some people might call less reputable media, like the National Enquirer, also dished out stories, one where Papa Manafort apparently allegedly had an affair. The National Enquirer cited the hacked messages to kind of validate the story. If only some mutual friend of Paul Manafort and the National Enquirer had managed to <laughs> influence orange, them. Yes, a very yes. tanned individual. Had managed to convince them not to publish that locks. story. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, okay, so fast forward to a few months ago, 20th of July, a freedom of information activist known as Emma Best decided to make the full data set of personal text correspondence searchable and available mm. to anyone who wanted. And it mm -hmm. was announced uh, via Twitter. It was written on Twitter, Today I am releasing a searchable transcript of over 285,000 Manafort text messages that WikiLeaks would not publish. You can find the what, why, and where at. It gives the link. Data which WikiLeaks wouldn't publish. Oh, be maybe because of the uh, Russian... Well, maybe of the political, you know, yeah. it's perhaps wasn't, not... wasn't their flavour. It's yeah. not their penchant of political yeah. party, okay. it seems, based on past If events. it had been Chelsea Clinton, then maybe they'd have done it, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Okay, so now zoom to a few days ago. This, this, this all happened about a month ago. And the reason this is back in the news is largely due to the Streisand effect. Right. Because Manafort's daughter's lawyer sent a letter to Twitter demanding they remove this Emma Best tweet. Right. And in turn, Twitter just this week sent the activist a letter saying, would you voluntarily remove the tweet? And she told Motherboard, <laughs> no intention of doing that. Right. Okay, so here are the nuts and bolts of this, okay? So the data set is a reported 7,000 
pages of unredacted text messages between Manafort's daughter and friends, colleagues, family, etc., etc., etc. It's going to contain private stuff, yeah. confidential stuff, personal stuff. Like, you know, if, if this happened to me, messages that, you know, you'd be affected, Graham. Well, I think it's a abo- I think it's abominable because that yes, exactly. It'll be her friends and family and all sorts of innocent people. It just mushrooms people. out, doesn't even, it? Even I mean, I don't know if she's innocent of anything or, or guilty of anything at all. But it just you know what gave Emma Best in quotes what gave her the right to publish this thing and make it so easily accessible. Exactly. So it's quite a contentious problem, yeah. right? Because to be a responsible freedom of information activist, must you provide all information, no matter how personal, to a victim circle? Like, can you not redact to avoid, you know, but maybe redacting gets you in trouble as well, because people are saying, well, it's redacted. So who knows what's redacted? Yes. yes. Now, interestingly, on the Emma Best website, the activist lists out seven reasons why the unredacted text messages were published. And I thought I'd share a few of those with you. So one is the data has already been exposed and the damage done. Well, no one has provided it in, in a searchable, unredacted format. So it's very convenient now. Yes, uh, a crime has already been committed. So I decided I'd commit it as well. Where's the harm in that? Yeah, another point was tabloids and trolls have already mined the transcripts and exploited them. You know, uh, so so basically, the damage has long been done and mitigated. And this is the, this is one point I found interesting. It says those involved know that the messages were hacked and that their phone numbers and email addresses, in case of some iMessage, have been exposed. They've had over a year to change their numbers and take up steps to block harassment. Therefore, any harm in this regard is minimal. This is another of Emma Best's arguments for why she's released the data, and it's. <laughs> I've got no sympathy with this at all, I have to say. Who, what, yeah, all right, well, doesn't convince me. I know, so, so, and do you think, do you think Twitter has a, has, is complicit in this in some way? Do you think Twitter is responsible for the content that they allow users to post? I mean, they've been warned, they've been told, look, this is upsetting people, this is hacked texts that the woman didn't hand over, mm. that are being mined by third parties against the victim's wishes. Mm. It's not the first people I would think to. I, 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 I think if I had any complaint about this, then I might try and work out who Emma Best's uh, web host was, for instance. Or I may go to Google and try and get links to that particular web page removed, you know, saying, look, this is damaging my privacy. This is where Emma Best is promoting the site, right? This is mm. where the traffic is coming from. Mm-hmm. Anyway, interesting. So... Not only does Twitter not let us have a G in smashing security. How dare they? It won't remove the link to a cache of hacked SMS messages. But there's lots of bad stuff that goes on Twitter, Carol. Is this really the worst thing that happens on Twitter, other than, obviously, the lack of a G in our Well, Twitter you know, I don't know. Ask Manafort's daughter. See how she's enjoying it. I mean, apparently she's just actually uh, appealed to get her name changed. I don't blame her. This may not be the only reason why she's changing her surname. Or if you widen the circle, you know, I mean, there may be people who are not even remotely involved, but are referenced in this stuff. Absolutely. It's like you texted me, David, saying, God, Graham's a pain in the butt. Right? And then that was posted somewhere. I don't think he'd ever send a message. (laughs) As if. As if. Hey, Clue. Hey, Crow. Did you listen to my uh, little bit about meta-compliance and their e-learning? Oh, yeah, I heard that earlier in the show. Yeah, nice Did you? Yeah. Okay. Well, have you signed up yet? 
Well, no, I've been doing the podcast crawl. I haven't had time to sign up for it, have I? Well, women know how to multitask. Surely you can get a move on and sign up. We get 10% off. Just go to smashingsecurity.com. You should know that website. Slash meta compliance and enter the code smashing with a G. Smashingsecurity.com slash meta compliance. Enter the code smashing. Terrific. With a G. Cool. Hello and welcome back. And you join us on our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. David. (coughs) David. You have to say Pick of the Week. Okay. Pick of the Week. (laughs) Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they like. Doesn't have to be security-related, necessarily. Shouldn't be. And my pick of the week this week is something actually useful. It's not a TV show or a podcast or anything like that. No, I'm going to give you something which is really rather handy and may actually put some bucks or some pound notes in your back pocket. It is a website called Airhelp. Dot com air as in aeroplane and that Air gives help. you com. airhelp.com and that gives you a clue because i was booked on a flight that was cancelled i there i was at birmingham airport trying to get to edinburgh and the flight was cancelled and i had to wait around at birmingham airport with you Carol. <laughs> yes for about, i remember for about three or four hours and it was most unpleasant or at least inconvenient and then i heard about this website called airhelp and it said, look, if you've had a cancelled flight or a delayed flight, you might be able to get compensation. There I was. And I was thinking, I wonder if I could get compensation for that. And all I had to do was enter my name and a confirmation number of the flight I was on. And it chugged and churned away. And about a month later, it came back and it put £170 in my bank account. Kaboom! Did it? Yes. Air Help had taken about 25% as a commission, which was why I got £170 rather than, I don't know, 200 or something. Um, yeah. But I figured that was a small price to pay for not having to do anything. It's a very handy website. So if you are on a delayed flight, you might want to try airhelp.com. You can even import your flight history, should you feel, should you feel yeah. safe about doing that. I'm just, I'm just looking at the privacy statement right now. Don't try and make this security-related necessary, bro. This (laughs) is a pick of the week. I'm just going to say quickly, you know, because you're asking people to put in a lot of data here on this site. I didn't. I didn't. I I hardly entered any information. I just had my booking reference number, my name, obviously my contact details, and uh, the flight number, and it went chug, 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 and I chose some radio buttons saying it was delayed. Was it a BA flight? It (laughs) was. Oh, I could maybe I could demand some higher compensation if it had been a BA flight. No, it wasn't actually. But uh, but yes, you can import flights you've made in the last three years if you want it to chug away and look at all of them. All I'm saying is the privacy data doesn't look too bad. I quick look. Okay, so that's all right. Good. There, it's got the Corolla seal of approval. Good pick of the week, David. What's your pick of the week this week? Okay, well, my pick of the week is and isn't related to security. Okay. Um, Something, an article in Forbes caught my eye, and it was really to do with um, employing autistic people and specifically to do with stopping cyber attacks because some of the sort of characteristics and skills 
that autistic people, many autistic people have, could be very useful. Mm. It doesn't just apply to cybersecurity, however. Seeing patterns, persistence, logical thinking, all of these things really, attention to details, another one, uh, are facets of autism. Uh, and actually, we're missing a trick if as a society, we don't actually milk this if we don't use these skills. Now, clearly, this is very topical in cybersecurity mm. because we're, we're facing a skills, a cyber skills shortage. Yeah, but right, right. It's estimated that about 13% only of autistic people get employed. Really? Um, and, you know, one in 100 people around about are autistic or on the spectrum somewhere. So given that, you know, these, these are really valuable skills, we could be missing out. Right. Um, you know, there's there's a danger, I think, as as awareness about autism has grown, that people tend to think, well, everyone on the spectrum's like Rain Man, um, mm. you know, or or they can they can recite pi to twenty seven thousand decimal places, which certainly one guy can, uh, who's autistic. But it, it, that's not twenty seven thousand. Yeah. Decimal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who checks? <laughs> I, I, I believe a guy called Daniel Tamnett did that, and and it, it was uh, took place, I think, in the Bodleian Library in Oxford. Oh. Um, <laughs> It's it's and and I think that's just a record for Europe. I don't think that's a world record, by the way. Wow. I have to, I have to be honest. If that was going on at the Bodleian Library in Oxford, I'm not sure I'd buy a ticket to watch it. Oh, I, I don't know. I think I would. Twenty seven thousand crow. You wouldn't know. I would have it written down on a piece of paper, and I'd what? knock it off as you went. What you have seven two one nine what? three six four that's, one. You'd uh, need a toilet roll, crow. That's what they did. That's what they did. <laughs> did I think they just had mountains of of computer printout paper with these on. Um, I love it. <laughs> so, you know, I think I think we, um, you know, there's a danger of, of pigeonholing people. But nevertheless, you know, these skills do exist. I mean, I can recall, I've got a son who's autistic, and I can recall when he was about eight. Yeah. A bit of background. I mean, when Disney Pixar put out, I think it was Finding Nemo, it had a short film called Knickknack. And it, it was about knickknacks on a, a dressing table and how the guy in the snow globe wanted to join them for a party. But... In Toy Story 2, it made a sort of cameo appearance. Woody, one of the main characters in Toy Story, gets kidnapped in that particular movie. And the mm -hmm. rest of the toys know that it was the guy that advertises the toys who wears the chicken suit who'd kidnapped him. So they decide they'll flick through all the channels very, very quickly to find the advert with the chicken man in. And they're going through at a rate of knots looking for this. Anyway, we'd watch this and my son said to me... Um, Oh, that's uh, knick-knack. And I said, well, what do you mean it's knick-knack? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the next time we, we watched it, I stopped it and freeze-framed it. And sure enough, one clip, one static clip from one of the channels on those ah. was of this particular short fi film. How he saw it, I don't know. But, it, it, <laughs> you know, he's got that level of attention to detail. Um, and, and so, you know, these are skills which, not just in cybersecurity, but elsewhere are very valuable. So if anyone wants to hire David's son... <laughs> I'm yeah, sure GCHQ absolutely. are listening. Yeah. Sure. Is, this, sure. is that why you're on, David? Is, is this basically an advert? Is this a job advert? No, not you're at all, but you know, they, feel free to give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Well, we'll put a link to that story into the show notes so other people can read all about that. Carol, what's your pick of the week? Mine is rather silly this week. It's a Twitter feed. I thought as I'd uh, kick Twitter in the shins in my first story, may yeah. as well give it a little, uh, get it back up there. So go to Cold War Steve on Twitter. Right. This is a crazy photo montage world of McFadden's Cold War. 
it's kind of dark and it's snigger worthy as well. Steve McFadden, he's the guy from EastEnders, which is a British uh, soap exactly. opera. He's like an egghead Sontaran kind of right. person. Yes. So basically, this is a Twitter feed primarily aimed at Brits or Anglophiles. So there's right. photo montages that are mashed up with some of our best known, if least like, political leaders or footballers or soap stars. And of course, uh, Noel Edmonds, who shows up everywhere. So you'll see Boris Johnson, Theresa May, even Anton Deck make an appearance. David Cameron's tasseled loafers make an appearance. It's just, it's, it's, it's really quite fun. I've been looking, I saw it in an article in The Guardian, uh, I don't know, a month ago so, or so. Okay, okay. I'm looking at it right now. So these are, yes, so these are photo montages, lots of British celebrities typically, although I'm seeing some Americans as well, in bizarre situations... And it's basically like a spot, where's Waldo, effectively, right. <laughs> but with our British B-stars. And what's really cute is this guy apparently knocks these out on his bus commute, which, you know, <laughs> I've, I've done a bit of, you know, quick editing like this, you know, In like Microsoft the kind of... paint, yeah. yeah I, I'm not this smooth without a bus. I don't even know how he manages that, but who cares? It's a great time-wasting website. I love it. So check out McFadden's Cold War on Twitter and enjoy. All right, well... Thank you, thank you, Carol. <laughs> That's slightly strange, but but amusing, amusing. Uh, you see, from the looks of things. August twenty three. It's very good. August twenty three. Oh, you're going to read out some of your favourite dates, are you? <laughs> David David Cameron's in the foreground. Yeah, I can see. Uh, I can see Noel Edmonds is there as always. Noel Edmonds. <laughs> We're going to have to put in a link to something about Noel Edmonds, so people Phil who McCarty. live in other countries know all about Noel. <laughs> On that slightly bizarre. Notes. I think we just about wrap it up for this week. Um, David, if people want to find out more about you or follow you online, what's the best way to do that? Well, they can go to securelist.com, which is where Kaspersky Lab puts all of its kind of uh, analysis on there. They can follow me on Twitter at M underscore David. And that's M E M M. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter as well, at Smash Insecurity. No G, Twitter allows to have a G. And we've got an online store where we don't make a single buck. We're giving away things for free. And if you follow us on our <laughs> no, Twitter... Well, what? No, well, no, they're not what? totally free. Oh, no, we you're just right. just don't make a buck. We don't make any money. He's overselling, guys. Sorry, I got excited there. <laughs> but, but, Kroll, if people follow us on Twitter, occasionally we tweet special voucher codes where people can save like 20% off their mugs and T-shirts and yeah, things. Yeah, but it still costs something. It still costs something. Yes, all right, you've caught me out. Go to smashingsecurity.com slash store for that. And uh, thank you for tuning in. If you like the show, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners discover us. I know we got like five new reviews last week. They were amazing. So oh. thank you to all of you for reviewing us, taking the time. I know it's a pain, but we really appreciate it. We read them all. We read them all. And, we do. Uh, and we, we, we have a little private conversation, me and Carol, especially if you mention one of us or the other. Um, you know, to say, to say, you know, Graham's my favourite, something like that. Yeah, Graham needs it more than I do, guys, so just go for it. Until next time, cheerio, bye bye. Bye. Adieu. I'm sorry, I've double entendring again. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, you were. Let's see how you rose above it. Rose yeah. above it. Just didn't, didn't leave. Yeah. Are you done, Carol? Yeah. Was that okay?